welcome to the Camden Fringe Pod, a podcast all about the Camden Fringe. Keep listening for a glimpse behind the curtains and to find out how you can get involved in, you guessed it, the Camden Fringe. Hello, I'm Michelle. I'm Zena. And welcome to the Camden Fringe Pod. It's only two weeks now until the Camden Fringe starts. Yeah, I'm starting to wake up in the middle of the night now. Are you? Um, I mean, I always do, but uh, yes. So that's six weeks of waking up in the middle of the night, panicking, and then that will stop. A mere six weeks. A mere six weeks. (laughs) And then it'll be over for us. (laughs) Very exciting, though. It is exciting. We're still adding more shows, which is crazy to me, but um, there's some very last minute people. Today, we are talking to three shows, all of whom are doing the Camden Fringe for the first time. We have Kate Rodden-Jones, who's doing her show, A Girl with a Glass Heart. We have Mm -hmm. Jan Noble, who's doing his show, Body 115. But first up, we're speaking to Craig Henry, who is the writer-director behind Assessment Centre. So tell us about your show. Assessment Centre is a uh, one-hour new writing piece about two people who are turning up to try and land a new job. Uh, They are both strangers and they are put through a series of tasks, as we all are when we go for new employment opportunities, in the hope of getting a new job to get them out of their particular scenarios. Uh, But all is not as it seems. And the Assessment Centre isn't only for a new job but also to process their unresolved grief, which they don't discover till the end. They think they're polar opposites, but actually discover they have a lot in common. And that is actually kind of the reason they are there to, to deal with that grief. And it's a, it's a wider look at kind of unresolved grief, childhood trauma, and how we unpack that as adults going through our lives. Right, and do they get the job then or what? <laughs> you have to come and see it. Yeah, you have to come and see it. That's the big, you find out who gets the job in the play. I'm not going to give any spoilers live on air. Oh, that sounds really, really interesting. It's born out of a podcast. Yes, it is. Um, it was a lockdown project uh, when we were all locked away in amongst the uh, the Netflix and sofa activities. I met someone online through a kind of group that I'd been a part of for adults bereaved as children. And we created a podcast, which essentially was speaking to other adults bereaved as children from, yeah, initially the UK, but then it got as far as Australia. We had someone in China, someone in America, and just people telling their story, which was really interesting to get a kind of real cross section of young all the way up. I think our oldest was was in their mid 70s um, and, you know, talking about childhood grief and how it impacted their lives. And that kind of got me thinking, we're not very good at talking about grief in this country, so yeah, I didn't use any of the stories from that podcast, just to be clear, if, if anyone does think that. But um, it got me thinking, like, how could you present that in an artistic space to, um, you know, put two people there who think they're doing one thing, but actually, how does grief bubble underneath what they're doing? Are you from a theatrical background? I am, yes. So I trained as an actor from the arts college, then went to New York to train as an actor. And I was an actor until uh, my early 20s. And I also had a theatre company back then uh, focused on new writing. Uh, so we did stuff, um, a lot of stuff on the fringe thing, like Old Red Lion, Lyric Hammersmith, Cockpit. Then I went off to uni um, to pursue a degree. You know, I've had a career in, in HR, which is where I work now. But kind of nine years later, coming back to that artistic world that I've been admiring from afar, but now have an opportunity to 
you know, join your wonderful fringe and be part of, you know, this eclectic mix of art going on this summer. Oh, so your HR career has also played into the show, I guess, a bit. Exactly that. Yes. If you were to marry my current career with, you know, my previous uh, experience in art, you would probably get this play. It is quite funny because some of my HR colleagues have booked to come see it without me telling them what it's about. And I think they might get a bit of a shock when they turn up thinking that it's going to be a satire on jobs. Yeah. They'll all be crying at the end. Yes. Good thing there is a trigger warning on the website. And so this is your first time at Camden Fringe. Have you done any other Fringe festivals before? Yeah, I've done Edinburgh Fringe. I did Edinburgh Fringe when I was 19. And then the theatre company I talked of um, after I'd left did um, did another show up at Edinburgh Fringe, a run up there. Um, but uh, but no, yes, I haven't um, done, always been aware of it. And yes, admired what it's doing. Because I think back in the day, there wasn't as much opportunity in London for stuff like this, you know, for obvious reasons in terms of the cost, location, and just the way the way things are. And I think to bring, you know, looking at your trajectory, you know, over the last 17 years is really impressive and the range of what's, what's there. And I think it's something that, you know, is really important given the rising cost of arts in London, um, mm. not only for performers, but also audience members to go and see, you know, comedy, work in progress, dance, art, theatre, which you know isn't hundreds of pounds if it's Hamilton or James Norton in a in an adaptation so yeah I, th- I think that's really important and, and long may it continue. So your show is it a two-hander? It is a two-hander yes um, so we've got um, great cast um, Pippa and Jasper um, enjoying rehearsals and um, and yeah we, we they kind of none of us know each other we came together for this project so it's been a it's been a good getting to know each other as well as you know getting into the work. And are you directing it as well as writing it? I am directing it, yes, um, as well as writing it as a chance to bring it all um, together. And also my ex-colleague for the theatre company is coming in to, to lend a hand as well. So it's it's a bit of a reunion. And have you found it quite a cathartic experience? It's a really good question, actually. We haven't actually got to the bit in rehearsals where we do the like the deep stuff yet. But I think hearing it aloud, there's bits of me in the piece and hearing it aloud, a table read was was a bit strange because it's just been on the laptop and in my head for a few months and then actually hearing people say it and stuff that's quite personal to me that you know nobody would know that certainly is cathartic hearing it and also a bit emotional if you've written it from from yourself it's going to really show isn't it when people speak those lines people will have a hopefully a really strong reaction to it definitely I'm most interested in kind of people who don't know me because I think Mm -hmm. the people who know me and know my my past it'll be a different experience as opposed to you know I'm quite interested in someone who just has no connection at all so fascinated to see what my dad thinks of it because he doesn't know anything about it as well and there'll be things in there that maybe only he will get uh I lost my mother when I was younger which is which is what it's all linked to but you know I I lost my mum on the Saturday I was in school on the Monday you know it was you know not even 48 hours and how do you process that as a child like we are getting better at it and there's lots more charities and, and things in the space than, you know, maybe there was. But um but yeah, certainly needs to needs to get the conversation going. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like an important thing to do. And it's not all super deep. It's hopefully gonna be quite funny as well, um, which is important to say. It's making me think a little bit of Jean Paul Sartre. You know, um we clo when it's just kind of like three people in a room and you don't really know why they're in the room at first. Yeah. I mean, I'll, t- I'll take the comparison. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get a script that's got two people in it, you know, in one set and make it a big hit. 
people will use that for years and years and years to come. Like Jim's Cartwrights too. Everyone loves that. It's true. Cheaper to produce, easy to put on because it's, you know, small cast, small set. Yeah, it's true. Who knows? We shall see. We shall see. Fantastic. Well, it's lovely to speak to you. Can you give us a recap of when and where your show is on? Yes. So my show is on at the Etc. Theatre uh, on Tuesday the 8th at 7 and the 12th and the 13th of August at 3pm for a nice little matinee. So hello, Kate. Thank you very much for coming on to the Camden Fringe pod to talk about your show, The Girl with the Glass Hearts. The thing that obviously stands out about you, and we'll talk about this first, get it over with, is that you're very, very young. How old are you? I am turning 17 next week. I feel like incredibly lucky that I was able to do this in the first place. Because um, just producing this play was something I definitely felt I wanted to do so that I had as much creative control as possible and I was initially a bit worried because of my age and I was sending it to places and it was not being able to go anywhere quite literally because I was under 18 so it was just a sort of like lovely lovely shock and relief um, when the guys at the Camden French decided to yeah take me on and I'm very excited as well as being absolutely terrified <laughs> So you're on at Camden People's Theatre. I remember you getting in touch very early days of um, programming for this year saying, can I do it because I'm not over 18? And we were like, yeah, but find a non-pub venue because that's where it gets tricky. So yeah, Camden People's Theatre is a great solution for that. How did you know about the Camden Fringe? Oh, well, luckily I'm in a really amazing place as a young actor because I've worked in lots of um, young companies. Um, I'm in the National Youth Theatre and I've done the Glory Youth Theatre as well. And a lot of the young people there were self-producing stuff their own plays. And I asked one of my friends, I was um, I was really curious, like same sort of thing, like you're very young, how did you and over 18 but still very, very young? How did you do it? And one of them said fringe festivals are the way to go with it, because you get so much creative control, they're really, really supportive, as well as letting you be independent as well. Uh, going up to Edinburgh, <laughs> uh, it's a bit far from me, a bit that comes in. The location is perfect for me because that part of London holds a very special place in my heart. My parents lived there together just before they had me, so it does feel like a nice little um, coming full circle for my first place. Well, when you say your parents would have been living there just before you had, they had you, that was in the Camden Finch was probably just starting then. 2006? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was the first year of the Camden Fringe. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh That's so amazing. And your birthday, you're just coming up now. Yes, yeah, so I'm, um, I'm July 27th. Oh, wow. So you were like so, probably four days before the first show of the Camden Fringe ever took place. Amazing. Wow. My mind is slightly melting out of my ears at the thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> It was lovely because my parents took me back to Camden the first time last year and they showed me around where, where they used to like go for drinks, where they worked and the, and the old house. And I just, I fell in love with it. And I also saw some of the club theatres there. The culture there is so brilliant. The people there are so brilliant. It seems like a driving force of creativity and theatre. And I just knew from the moment I found out about the Camden Springs of existence. Yeah. yeah, I suppose we're we're so used to it, aren't we? We probably don't 
see Camden in the same way that a young person would see it, but it's so different to the rest of London. It is. I mean, that's why we, you know, we did think this it is a good work. specific place for a fringe because it is a kind of mini festival-y city in itself, isn't it? It's- it is. The whole thing feels like a festival, just being there. You've mentioned creative control a few times. So you are mm-hmm. writing and performing in the show. Are you kind of directing yourself as well? I am. Um, luckily, I did manage just before um, I left school for the year. I'm in mean, my first year of A-level. I managed to do a little reading of it with some of my friends who were doing drama A-level. And it was great to just hear feedback from other young people, especially I wanted to include young people who have first-hand experience of anxiety and other mental health issues. While it is very much self-directed, I do feel like I have a little team behind me that can support me. So tell us a bit about the show itself. Yeah, so The Girl with the Last Part is essentially, I describe it quite a lot as a sophisticated rant tells the story of a young woman who's gone through her entire life dealing with anxiety disorder, depression as a result from quite emotionally traumatic childhood. Half of it is my own experience at the mental health side of things, anxiety disorder, things like that. Um, and half of it comes from other young people that I've had the pleasure of meeting and working with since joining the industry, who have absolutely fascinating stories heartbreaking stories, stories that have been silenced. It's essentially as well a bit of an attack on how badly the government are choosing to deal with the mental health of young people. You know, we've had in the past decade, I think 750 youth centres have been closed in the UK, which is absolutely shocking. I've, I know people and love people who've been affected by that. Those who aren't receiving the proper treatment, when they desperately need it and people can see that they desperately need it so it's not so much a cry for help it is raising awareness it is showing that yes things are bad but at the same time it is also demonstrating or i i like to think of it as it is demonstrating the sheer power of the voice of a young person and we don't see especially in theater we don't see that and a young person who is completely taking the reins telling it like it is, saying this is how bad things are, this is how I'm being affected by it, this is what I want to see happen in order to create the change that needs what I love about fringe, how it's also eclectic, and so it shows I want to see as well that that really balance the sort of pathos with with comedy and things like that, because that's what my show does as well, it's not just 45 minutes of like teenage self-pity and angst and things like that, it's not that. For many of you know, my friends who have anxiety disorders, our sense of humour is often our most effective coping mechanism. And do you think you give answers in the show, like this is what's wrong and this is what you would like to see happen? I think the main thing the audience should take away is those young people who I want to watch this, I want them to walk away having this topic been demystified for them. I think it does that quite well. And it also destigmatizes. There's a line that goes something along the lines of adults with depression, they're taken seriously, they're respected, revered even. Teenagers with anxiety and depression are attention seekers. And at the same time, I want perhaps older people, parents, friends, teachers who know and or love someone who deals with a mental health issue. I want them to walk away from the show with an enriched understanding 
of how best to love and support that person for whatever it is they're going. You have said that very eloquently and very clearly. You're the first person we've spoken to that's actually made me want to cry. Oh my goodness. So where can people come and see you? So people can come and see me at the Camden People's Theatre on August 20th and August 21st at 7.15. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being part of the Camden Fringe. I think it's really important to have voices from all ages and all spectrums. Thank you so much. Jan, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you're going to tell us all about your show, Body 115. I'm not going to tell you all about it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. It sounds like a, a heady mix of things. There is a lot going on, but at the very heart of it, I think it's quite a simple tale of love and heartbreak. Body 115 was the mortuary tag number of the long unidentified victim of the King's Cross fire back in 87. And that's the kind of starting point for it, is a character, a figure who has lost everything, their complete identity, and nobody knows who they are. And what I found kind of intriguing about that particular story was the amount of people who wanted to claim him, thousands of people, wanting this unidentified figure to be their father or their missing uncle. And people wanted a sense of closure on that absence. And so there was this, this sort of outpouring of love, if you like, for this completely charred, lost individual. And I think at a time of, you know, when our own identities are so important, to us this figure seemed like a very kind of interesting kind of starting point and it was a it was a, a figure from my childhood this haunting image that we had on on television how they reconstructed a face if you know, how they reconstructed this person and so it is a story of you know how i suppose how we kind of reconstruct ourselves or how we can recover ourselves and reconstruct ourselves this isn't a piece that's explicitly about the king's cross fire or about um uh, finding you know and identifying uh, body 115 it does lend itself to interpretation you know it's a very it's a poetic piece it started life as a as a poem and has been kind of developed into a into a piece of theater so you're a one person show i am yeah. And it is kind of spoken word. I wouldn't say it's spoken word. I'd kind of, I'd like to think it was poetry. Is that, are we allowed to say poetry anymore? You're allowed to say it. It's the Camden Fringe. It's the Fringe. Camden Fringe. Great. I mean, it's been called a, a mini verse drama. How about that? It isn't a piece of spoken word. I mean, it is, it is somebody speaking words. Mm-hmm. It is one person, one person on stage. I mean, even the fact that it's, it's you know, to say it's a one-person show, you know, yeah, I spent the day yesterday with, uh, with my sound designer, uh, the, the legendary Jack Arnold, you know, and the amount of work that he has put into it, it is a collaboration, although there is only sort of one person on stage. It kind of found its legs during lockdown you know that i had this this long piece that i didn't know what to do with and at at that point i'd only done poetry readings and 
in one of those little windows in the pandemic, I read it at a, at a, a literature festival in Italy. And there happened to be a theatre producer there who said, this, this would be wonderful as a, as a theatre piece. You, you know, and she organised a Zoom. That was the great thing about, about the pandemic. Was suddenly, you know, there was a, a director, I think was in New York at the time, and were able to just to come and see it on Zoom. She got, you know, a whole bunch of people from the theatre world that, that I'd never been a part of. You know, suddenly I was on screen with directors. And, you know, and they just said, drop the script when we emerge from lockdown we can work on this it's had an interesting history in terms of its um in terms of making it as i said i haven't come from this background at all there's a lot of history in it as well a lot of kind of local history the the idea of starting it kind of starts out at, at king's cross and king's cross was formerly uh, called battle bridge which is where boudicca met the Roman garrison and burnt London to the ground. I did it was the not bridge know that. over. Yeah. And now if you go there now, there is now a you know a Battle Bridge Boulevard or something. It's Battle Bridge Place. It's a mm-hmm. kind of like a mall, you know, as a little nod to it. And um and it was this, you know, as you know, if you know London, King's Cross until quite recently was this great area of, of ill repute, you know, and it was for centuries back in the 19th century late 18th century they kind of thought how are we going to how are we going to gentrify battle bridge and so they put a, a king a statue of a king on a plinth and called it king's cross instead of battle bridge and the the reasoning being that you know if you put a statue of the king up everyone everyone behaves themselves immediately it takes the form of a journey to italy which is a kind of an ancient journey. You know, it's a piece about difference and separateness, but it's also a piece trying to kind of bring elements together. So it's my journey to try and fix a broken relationship and the kind of the broken relationships that we see across Europe, I suppose, as we've we've left the EU and uh, and all of the the battles and borders and disputes that go on across the world. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, I want to say, is it going to sound corny to say it's, it's a journey of healing, but in a sense it is, it is that kind of going on a, actually going on a physical journey in order to kind of heal yourself. It sounds very rich with lots of ideas. And it's not, you know, it's, there are, there are a couple of gags in there as well. It's not all about kind of, darkness and distress and death and suffering you know um the local football team gets a little mention you know stuff like that Mm -hmm. little little beacons of light along the way and where are you on what dates what times so i'm back at the hope theater which is on upper street um and i am Running from the 20th to the 26th of August at 9pm. We're going for a, for a late... Is that a late night slot? It feels pretty it's late. It's pretty late, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's that kind of show. We have a website, which is body115.com, and that's body115 written out in, in letters.com, not, not, in, not in numbers. And uh, an Instagram account of the, of the same... Body 115, which little bits of the poem are going to be kind of emerging. 
you now say that they're all lovely. Oh, they were all lovely, weren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Weren't they? Yeah, really interesting mix of people. And Kate did make me cry. I think they all had in common that they're doing quite serious shows, but with a bit of humour. And they're all sort of drawing on their own experiences to perform them. Yeah, a really, really interesting mix of things there that I would like to see all of them. If you would like to see those shows or any Camden Fringe shows, you can buy your tickets at www.camdenfringe.com. Get them whilst they're hot. Bye. Bye. Bye.